Good evening. Welcome to our service, our broadcast this afternoon. Thank you for, for joining us. And I trust God has been good to you today and that uh, you've had a wonderful afternoon. I know we have here in the uh, Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. It's just been a beautiful day that the Lord has made in His blessings. We're going to continue looking at Mark. We're going to continue in chapter 6, and we're going to begin with verse 30 this evening. Uh, as you find your place, let's take an opportunity for us to uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Maybe you have a prayer request in your heart. Maybe you have something that uh, is weighing heavy upon you. Maybe it is the COVID that is making a resurgence. Maybe it is uh, something else going on. Maybe you have a loved one that you're worried about spiritually. Uh, maybe it's something going on in your life. Whatever it is, I want to I want to assure you God knows and God cares. He wants you to bring it to Him. Not because He doesn't already know, but God wants you to bring it to Him so that the two of you can come together over this thing, whatever it is, whoever it is. He wants to join you. He wants you to come to Him and to join Him. He loves you tonight. He wants to show you that love. So if you have a prayer request, feel free to post it on Facebook as we, uh, as we begin our message and our services tonight. Feel free to share as much or as little as you want about it. Just let us know so we can pray with you. Also, I want to encourage you to pray for others. Pray for our nation tonight. Pray for the churches around you. Pray that God will move in the hearts and the lives of those who are lost and do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior tonight. Pray that God's will would be done and that we would know that will and that we would submit to that will and that we would know His grace and His mercy through faith in Him to see us through and to guide us through what may be ahead. So if you will, as we begin, let's go to God in prayer. Let's open our hearts. Let's empty our hearts. Heavenly Father, as we bow before you, we want to thank you. Thank you for who you are. We want to thank you for everything that you have done. Thank you for Jesus Christ. For grace, mercy, faith. For everything that we have tonight. We have, not because we've earned it, because you have blessed us with it. I'm so thankful for that tonight. Even down to the very air that we breathe, we have it because you have blessed us with it. God, there's no way that I can thank you enough. No way. Heavenly Father, I do come to you tonight and I ask you to look at the prayer requests that are being lifted up to you. Those that are coming from the hearts, the pleas and the pleads of those who love you. God, there are many out there that do. Lord, we all have failed you. None of us are worthy. But Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ because if it weren't for him, we wouldn't have a reason or a purpose to come to you. But because of Jesus, we can come, we can plead our case before the throne of grace. The Holy Spirit will hear our grumblings. He will fill in the voids that are in our prayers. And we'll bring them to you. Lord God, I thank you for everything you've done. Everything that you're going to do. Lord God, I pray once again that you would bless those that are listening, whether it be by Facebook Live, whether it is later by uh, the sermon audio broadcast, 
whether it is by audio or video, then I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would help them. Heavenly Father, I pray for the church in Afghanistan. I pray for those who are who are being persecuted, those who are dying because of their faith. God, I pray that you would give comfort to their families, comfort to those who in faith are standing their ground and are saying, yes, I believe in Jesus. God, I pray that we here in America, the church here, would learn a lesson from them, from their faith. That we would make our our faith stronger. And God, as we open your word, as we share it, may it not return to you void, but may it purpose everything that you have set it aside to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Again, we're going to be in Mark chapter 6, verse 30. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitudes saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them, and come together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude, and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Verse 30 actually picks up as a as a continuation from the end of verse 13 when Jesus sent out his disciples to preach and teach and heal uh, in the area of Galilee. See, they had been gone. We don't know how long. It could have been weeks. It could have been months. So they have now returned. They've came back to Jesus, and they've came and they've gathered it, and and they they can they were excited. You could tell in verse number thirty how excited they were to come to Jesus and to talk to him, to tell them. But what we see when we look at verses 30 through 34 isn't an attaboy session by Jesus to his disciples. No, instead what it is is a teaching moment for those disciples. You see, they in this in these four verses, the disciples have an opportunity to see God, but to see God in a, in a God who cares, to see Jesus as a Savior who cares. You know, often throughout my years of serving God, time in the ministry and in the pastor, I have noticed that more and more people have a faulty impression of just who God really is. For example, some people see God as being someone high and holy, uh, someone who has no time for people like you and I, someone who is uh, involved with greater things than us. Others see him as a as a grandfather image sitting on the throne, just winking at sin, snoozing, 
living in amusement of watching to see what is going to happen next. Well, let's look at that. God is high and holy. He is separate from sinners, which is what I am. Yes, He is separate from me, not because He separated Himself, but because Adam separated all of mankind from God because of His fall in the Garden of Eden. God is untouched by, by our wickedness. He, he cannot look upon our sins. God certainly does not wink at our sins either. He doesn't laugh them off. It's not entertaining to Him. Our sin breaks the heart of God. He created us to worship Him. He created us to be in fellowship with Him. He created us to be His workmanship. And, and we failed in being able to fulfill that because of our sin. And God does not take that way. It breaks His heart when He when He looks at us and He sees what we've done. It may surprise some of you to see and understand God is a caring God. Yes, He is often portrayed as a God of wrath and judgment. And, and let me say this. There, God is a God of wrath and judgment. It's like a, like a coin. There are two sides to a coin. The coin is made up of both sides. One side of God is wrath and judgment. The other side of God is love and compassion. It is intimacy. It is a God who cares and a God who relates to who we are. One reason He cares is because He knows what we face in life. He understands that we are separated from Him by sin. He understands and He realizes that that sin exists and that we are a fallen creation of His. He knows what it is like to, to be without, to do without. He knows what it is to be rejected. He knows what it is to be hated. He knows what it's like to suffer pain and to be hungry and to be thirsty and to be alone. He knows what it is like to die. You see, Jesus walked through this world and experienced what He did so that He might better help you in your time of need. Because, you see, Jesus... He is God in the flesh. When Jesus came, He came incarnate, which means God came incarnate through Jesus and walked among us. He tabernacled among us. I want you to let that sink in for just a moment. The reality that God would tabernacle among sinful man. He would come and He would be here and He would walk with us. He would eat with us. He would live with us. He would suffer with us. He would be hungry and thirsty with us. He would live in the heat of the bearing sun with us. He would work by the sweat of his brow. He would do everything that we would do except sin. He could not sin. And he would die as we would die. But then only as God could do, he would resurrect from the dead. And He would do all of this to save sinners. He would do all of this 
to be our Redeemer. You see, God created us. We fell from that creation. We fell from that relationship. We became a servant of sin to Satan. And God redeemed us. He purchased us through Jesus Christ. Yes, something that you could not do for yourself. Something I couldn't do for myself. But God, in all of His wonder, in, in the majesty and the sovereignty of who He is, stepped up through Jesus Christ and redeemed, redeemed those who believe. Did He redeem everyone? No. He redeemed those who believe. Now that's a sticky point for some people. But it is a reality. Not everyone believes in Jesus. And those who do not believe and do not accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they are not redeemed. But if you believe in Jesus Christ today, you can accept Him as your Lord and Savior. You can confess your sin to Him. You can ask Him to come into your heart. And you can be redeemed to that relationship that God has with His children. With His created children. And that through Jesus Christ. He, he is a Savior who cares. Notice with me in verses 30 through 32 that Jesus cares about laboring servants. The events of 30 take place, like I said, right after the events of verse 13. And uh, when they went out to preach and to heal and to do everything that they had done, uh, He gave them access to gifts and to things to reach out and to take the gospel. And they were excited that everything they had witnessed and all the results of their preaching and all of the things that had happened. And you know, when they come back and when we look at these verses, we see their thrill, as I mentioned, and their excitement and their boldness. And you know, there's nothing greater in life than the thrill of serving God. Nothing greater to experience the blessing of serving God. Even when we see it as bad times, as difficult times, when pastors and preachers and missionaries <coughs> and all of the others that are out there doing God's work, the teachers, the musicians, the singers. We all go through highs and lows in our ministry. And you know, we, it's easy to think of highs in the blessing, the blessings of the high points and the mountains of ministry. But when we really step back, at least in my experiences, when I step back and I look at those low points in ministry, I didn't see it then, but I do now reflecting back. I can reflect back and I can see the blessings of those low points and why God let me experience them and what He was wanting to show me through them. You see, God cares about those who serve Him. Now let me take a moment to, uh, to say this about serving God. Serving God isn't a choice that we make. If you are saved today, if you are born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, you should be seeking God's service and what He wants to do through your life. It should not be something that you sit down and weigh out like a career. Because it isn't a career choice. 
If you are a born-again believer today, and you're not serving God in a capacity that He has called you to do, you need to back up. You need to lay aside your decision, and you need to seek God's way. God's work, God's will in your life. It may be by vocational, like my like my ministry has been. You see, all the pastorates I've had are by vocation. Everything that I have done in ministry is by vocation. And what a blessing it has been, because it has opened doors that would have never had been opened, and I would have never experienced the things that I've experienced had it not been for me listening to the call of God in my life and following it and doing it. Had I done it my way, I would have made a mess out of it and God would not have blessed me. But you see, these disciples, they followed Jesus' call in their life. And from that, He blessed them. And He will do it in your life just as He done it in their life, in my life, in the lives of multitudes that are out there today doing His work. When we see the service of the Lord, we can't help but think about the training for that service. There are a lot of people who say uh, that they can't serve the Lord because they don't have any training. Well, look at the disciples. Yes, they walked with Jesus. Yes, they had Jesus' personal one-on-one -on -one instructions. Yes, they had every bit of that, that. That they were going on and that they were doing and everything was working out great. They were sent out with very little training and limited knowledge of the things of God. Don't wait until you think you have the depth of the knowledge and understanding that you think you need to serve God. Go and work and follow the Lord by faith. By faith. Yes, you need to have some biblical training. You need to be in your home church studying under your pastor. And if you don't have a home church, let me encourage you to find one. Let me encourage you to seek out that place where God wants to train you, where He wants to begin training you to do His work, to carry His banner. Because there's no greater thrill in serving God than to grow among God's people, to learn love, and to learn compassion, to, to learn how to accept criticism, how to grow through it, how to be disciplined, how to follow God, and how to read His Word, how to study His Word. How to gain authority in what you know and how God can bless you in proclaiming and bringing that scripture. That is where training begins. It begins in the home church. It doesn't begin in a Bible college. It doesn't begin in a seminary. It begins in the home church. And it begins with your Bible. You must read and spend time in your Bible. You must spend time in prayer. And that's something that I believe is taken way too lightly today. Prayer. I was listening to a message from Alistair Beck this afternoon. And he was talking about how to find a home church. How to find the church that you need to be a part of. And one of the things he brought out was a praying church. 
Don't affiliate yourself with the church unless it's a praying church. And I thought that was some very good advice because your prayer life is a personal doorway between you and God. It is through that doorway that you understand and that you realize whether you're in a proper relationship you know when you pray. You know when whether you're connecting with God and whether God is connecting with you. You know when you realize all of this. Without that prayer life, without a praying church, you lose a connection that is vital in serving God. Yes, the Lord loves his service and he loves their activity. But the Lord also has advice to give. And in 31 and 32, his advice is that when Jesus hears their report and sees their enthusiasm, he can give it some advice. And sometimes that advice may appear to be strange on the surface. <clears throat> A lot of people, excuse me, a lot of people would have suggested that it was time to seize that moment. That there is what we would maybe call today, there is momentum in the ministry. We've been successful in preaching. And Jesus would say, great, you've established a momentum. Now capitalize on it and go move with it. But he didn't. People were listening. The crowds were coming. It seemed like the perfect time to do that. But what did Jesus do? Jesus said, wait a minute. It's time for you to rest. It's time for you to be refreshed. I think there were a couple of reasons why Jesus did this. First of all, the physical stress of ministry is, is enormous. When disciples returned to Jesus, what they found were crowds of needy people. People were coming and going. They were at a frenzy. And they, it was as such, they were so overwhelmed with people that were arriving that Jesus said the disciples didn't even have time to sit down and eat. So he knew they needed rest. He knew they needed to eat. He knew that their bodies needed to recover and to recuperate. So he told them to get into a boat and let's go. Let's go across and let's re-energize. Let's get refreshed. I was talking to a to my pastor, to the pastor of the church that I've been attending this morning. And we were talking something along these lines and he made a comment that he didn't understand why anybody would think that they could choose ministry as a profession because it was somehow easier money and less stress. Because he said he knew there were, there were a lot of career opportunities that were less stressful and paid more money than ministry. And when we're talking about real ministry, he's exactly right. Real ministry is stressful. It's tiring. Because when serving the Lord, we see the burdens of those who come before us. We feel those burdens. We feel that heartache. We feel that misery. We feel that lack of that discouragement that's there. Lack of encouragement that's there. The, uh, the lack of boldness. The desire of wanting to do more. The burden of sin and failure in their lives. We see it and we feel it. And we, we cry we pray. We go to God's Word. 
trying to find comfort and correction and conviction in order to help them recover and get their footing back where it should be. You see, this is what was going on in Mark's world at this time with Christ. But there's a word here for the modern Christian. God didn't design these bodies to go like we often force them to go. He never intended for us to run through this world with a, a cell phone in our ear and a day planner in our face and a schedule that's so full of activities that nobody could possibly fill it all up in a day's time. God expects us to take time and let our bodies recover. I just mentioned prayer. Prayer is a downtime for spiritual recovery. We spend our time, as I just said, with cell phones and day planners and calendars and all kinds of things taking place and rolling out in front of us and taking up our time. And often when we do sit down, we collapse into a nap. Never taking time with God. Never taking time to rest or to relax. Never taking time to look at something and decide the priority of it based on God's Word and when need be, say no. No. Because I have to have time for God. I have to have time in my personal life for Him. I have to refresh. I have to be ready for that next challenge. For that next moment to go out and to seize the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. God wants us to serve Him, but He doesn't want us to kill ourselves in the process. Someone has penned a little poem that goes like this. Mary had a little lamb was given to her to keep. But then it joined the local church and died for lack of sleep. The disciples were in danger of dying for lack of sleep. If these men had been sent right back onto the spiritual battlefield to get the same or greater results, they would have failed. Christ would have known it. They may not have known it. They may have been ready to go. Their adrenaline may have been pushing and they may have been saying, yes, let's go back. Yes, let's do it again. Yes, come on, let's go. But Jesus says, no, I know what's going to happen if you do. You need to go rest because he cares about his working servants. But that's not where his care ends. You see, he also cares about his lost sheep. As Jesus and his disciples make their way away from the crowds, the crowds say, well, now listen. I see the direction the boat's going. I think I know where they're going. Follow me. And Jesus is going across the lake in a boat. And they're going around the shoreline trying to meet him. I've read by, from a couple of authors the point and the place where they believe this took place was about a four mile stretch across water and ten miles across shoreline. If there was no tailwind, which means there was no wind for the sail and they had to row, the people making it by foot easily could make the ten miles before they could row the boat four miles. And that's what happened. Now whether it, that was the exact scenario, I don't know. I'm giving you that for an illustration. But in the end, what happened is the people got there before Jesus and the disciples and the boat. 
But you know what? A lot of people would have gotten angry because, you know, we're going to go over here to rest and you were rude enough to follow us over. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. The Bible tells us that Jesus was moved with compassion. And Jesus, when he came out and saw the great multitude, was moved with compassion for them. You see, they wanted to know the truth. They knew in their hearts that for generations the, the Word of God had been twisted and turned and, and it had been manipulated into things that it wasn't. By the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of that ruling group, even the Roman government was involved in messing with it by influencing the Pharisees and all of these others. And they knew that. It was obvious to them. But here was Jesus, plain and simple, teaching and teaching with compassion. And the people were saying, we want more. When we see a person with need, There are several emotional responses that we tend to rely on. So briefly, I want to go over them. These aren't deep psychological profiles of these emotional responses, but nonetheless, they will point out where I'm going in the message. The first one is we can have apathy. Apathy is an absence of an emotion. You see that there's a need, that these people have a need, but we don't care. We're not moved by it. And there's a lot of apathy in our world today. There's a lot of apathy in the church today. We, we see the homeless. We see the crisis pregnancy centers. We see the homeless shelters. And we have a tendency to have apathy toward them thinking that, you know, they're where they are because of their own making. And you know what? That may be true in some cases. But nonetheless, it is apathy that we have. We need to back up and we need to ask ourselves the question, is this what Jesus would have us do? Is this what Jesus would have us do? Do you think that all of the people that were here that followed him around, that followed around the lake shore, do you think all of them were going to be his believers and his followers? Yet we don't hear that Jesus had compassion on some, what we hear is that when he saw the great multitude, he was moved with compassion for them, for all of them. Not only is there apathy, but there's sympathy. It's a word that says a harmony of feeling. You see a need you know how they feel because you've experienced that and you felt that way too. That's probably the easiest of all of these emotions for us to relate to. I've been there, I've done that, I've got the teacher. So that is, a, that is one emotional response that we have. Then there is empathy. It is stronger than sympathy because it means that you hurt with them, that you share that pain that they experience. It is sympathy with a personal connection. Some of us know what that means. Yes, 
we've been there, we've done that, we've got the t-shirt, and I still know what it feels like to go through it. I still know what it feels like to experience it. I can cry, I can cry with you. I can listen to you. I can hold you. I can pray with you. I can try to find you resources and support that you need. Empathy is something that we need to have more of. Instead of being hardened by the experiences of life and having apathy, we need to see if we can find sympathy so that we can invoke empathy and we can have compassion. It, it is a word that when used in the Bible, it means to be moved inwardly, to yearn with a tender motion, affection, pity, and even empathy. It refers to the deepest possible feelings that a person can have. You see, Christ had this compassion. He wanted his disciples to have it. Not only that, he wants you, Christian. He wants you to have it. He wants me to have it. Compassion is what moved Christ to love people. The rest and the relaxation that he wanted for his disciples, yes, they would get it. But they would get it after they experienced a lesson of compassion and an experience of it that they would never forget throughout their lives and throughout their work. I have experienced some of those lessons of compassion in my ministry, and I hold them dear to this day. I never will forget them, not in a spiritual sense. And I am so thankful. I am so thankful that I've had that privilege to be, to have those. So that empathy can be a great part of my life and can be a great part of understanding people. Yes, they may be where they are because of their own bad decisions. But how many bad decisions have I made in my life? They may not be the same decisions, but because of empathy, I can have sympathy and I can invoke compassion. You can too. You can too. It is also your responsibility, Christian. Why is compassion so important? Why? Why is compassion such a big deal? Well, let me spend a little bit of time with that for just one moment. We are supposed to be teachers of the gospel. We are supposed to be preachers of the gospel. We are supposed to be leading others to Christ. For so many decades, we have been taught that, okay, you need to be able to memorize these scriptures and you need to be able to quote these scriptures to a person in order to see them saved and they must understand these things. And that's okay. That's fine. You can do that. That's fine. But if they don't witness compassion in your life for their souls, those, are, those scriptures are going to be nothing more than printed words on a piece of paper. That is how important compassion is in the witness of a Christian in spreading the gospel. Compassion for their lost souls. Compassion for their eternal destiny compassion for what they're dealing with in life, compassion for Jesus and for what he can do in his life. You want them 
to have empathy for your salvation experience by having that same one. You want them to experience the compassion of Christ as you have experienced the compassion of Christ. The Gospels reveal to us the boundless love and compassion of Jesus. See, Jesus has compassion for the scattered ones, for those who have been scattered out of a flock. He has compassion for the sinning ones, for those who are lost and undone in their sins and who are out there looking for the answer. He has compassion for those that are physically sick. He has compassion for those who are suffering, suffering through bereavement, suffering through illness, suffering through the lack of compassion, suffering because of apathy. Jesus has compassion for those who are seeking, who are genuinely seeking the truth. You see, Jesus, Jesus wanted his disciples to not only experience the multitudes following them for the truth, but he wanted his disciples to be compassionate as he is compassionate for those who are That is ministry. That is ministry. Where, where did this passage, where did this message find you today? Are you weary in doing God's work or tired? Do you need to take some rest? Have you lost joy in your salvation? Have you gone for so long, for so hard of a strife that you're doing it out of repetition instead of out of joy for salvation? Have the things of God become a drudgery to you? Christian? Has it been just another job? Just you get up on Sunday morning and going to church is no longer a joy of going to worship God and meet with God, but it is a drudgery because of something that you feel like you now have to do? Are you just spiritually tired and worn out? I want to invite you to come to Jesus. Maybe you're a lost sheep Maybe you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want to invite you to come to Him. He's calling you. He is calling you to come out of the multitude and to come join the disciples. He's calling you to come be, be part of the work that He is doing. However this message may have touched you and may have worked in your life, it all revolves around coming to Jesus. Sitting back, taking a deep breath, looking at ourselves. Looking at ourselves. And finding out where we have led ourselves astray. Where we've led ourselves into a corner that we feel like we're back into. And it isn't God's fault. It's ours. We have now the biblical precedence to step out of it. To come to Jesus. To let Him have His way. And for us to find the meaning of serving the Lord through proper ministry in His calling, in His direction, for His purpose, for His interests. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for the message You've given. Heavenly Father, I thank You for opening the door of Your Word.
Lord, I pray that it would touch our hearts. I pray, Heavenly Father, that it would move lives to you. That we would see our own failures in this message. Lord, we would sit back and we would put ourselves aside and we would look at you. And we would follow you. And your calling for us. And your placement of us. To teach. To tell others about Jesus. And to live that life in compassion for all of those around us. Lord, I pray that if there are lost out there that are hearing this, I pray that you would call them to salvation. Heavenly Father, if there are discouraged Christians who have stepped away because of the drudgery that they feel like they've been put under, I pray that you would call them back, call the scattered ones back into, their, into your fold. And Heavenly Father, I pray that, 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 the, har that the harvest, we know it is full, and, and, the, har and, the, and the harvesters, that there are few. Lord, we need people out there harvesting today, preaching your word, teaching your word, being a witness of who you are and how you can save souls. Lord, I pray that all of this will be done and accomplished in your name's sake, for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. I pray this message will encourage you to go out to, to reevaluate your role in serving God. I trust that you have a good weekend and a good week ahead. May God bless you is my prayer. So long.